We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Hello, this is Robin Jones Gunn, and I am in studio today with Cheryl Broderson, my friend, and guess what? Our guest today is Cheryl Broderson. Ta-da! Now, this was my idea because about a year ago, Cheryl interviewed me, and that's in our library on the Women Worth Knowing podcast, and I kept saying, okay, it has to be your turn one of these times, (laughs) and Cheryl... We want to hear your story because I've heard bits and bits and bits, and I want to hear more, but it's just so beautiful how God has done amazing things. And my pattern that I have keep seeing in your life is faithfulness. That's maybe if we were going to put a banner over your life, the faithfulness when it gets hard, when there's all this opposition or challenges, just your faithfulness, but then also God's faithfulness to you and your family. Our listeners are going to want to hear what it was like to grow up as the daughter of Chuck Smith within the Calvary Chapel beginning days and the Jesus Revolution happening in your in front of you as you're growing up. But I, we also want to hear all those stories about how God made Himself so real to you and how you trusted Him and how He led you in places where. Now, there's so much fruit from the the ministries that you've been part of. That's very kind. (laughs) Oh, it's so true. So, okay, well, I was born in 1960, um, April 4th, which I love being born in 1960 because it's, if somebody names a year, I can tell you exactly how old I was because, you know, it's always, (laughs) (laughs) if you're, say, 75, oh, I was 15. It's just really, really easy. And um, my mother wanted me to be named Sherry Kay, but she uh, my father put it to a vote in the car on the way to the hospital, and my siblings voted that I should be Cheryl Lynn, which I'm ever indebted to them you for. You are completely a Cheryl Lynn. I know. I'm not a you Sherry are. K. But my mom my mom was Catherine, C-A-T-H-E-R-Y-N, but she always went by K. So don't, don't ask me, because her name began with a C, but she went by K. <laughs> okay, we won't ask you that. So she wanted me to be Sherry K after her. She just thought that would be so fun. But I'm so glad because Sherry K, I just felt like I'd have to talk with a Southern accent on my left. Sherry K, Sherry <laughs> K. So I was seven years old and my mother was saying Cheryl Lynn. And somebody said, why are you calling her Cheryl Lynn? And she said, well, that's her name. And I turned around and said, that's my name because in school I was Sherry, Sherry, Sherry. Uh, all kindergarten, all first grade. Really? So when I found out it was Cheryl, I said, I want to go by Cheryl. And I, you know, written Sherry Smith on everything. So now I had to take out the I and put a Y and an L on the end, which was very exciting to me. Um, I remember in kindergarten, by the time I was in kindergarten, we moved uh, to coast, uh, actually Newport Beach. Uh, my dad and mom had bought their first house in Newport Beach for $17,000. And my aunt had given my mom $8,000 so they could buy this first house in Newport Beach. It had a, a huge backyard. And even then, it wasn't very much money for a house. And the reason no. they could buy this house in Newport Beach for 18000 is, one, it was the ugliest house in the neighborhood. Two, it had been broken into so many times because it had a drug rehab facility at the base of it. Oh. And so my dad got such a great deal on this house. And not only that, but the basement had all been illegally built. And there was one room that if you open the door, it was all dirt. And my mom used to say, I think (laughs) someone's buried there. And it could be because she had this uh, quirky way of knowing things. She had kind of this prophetical 
intuition. And she'd always say, I think someone's buried. I mean, seriously, it looks like a regular door, like it could lead to a bedroom. You open it up. It's just dirt. It's just this pile, a mountain of dirt. It was the strangest house, but it was ours. And it had about- You were there a long time, weren't you? I was there till I was 12 years old. And Uh there was almost like a half acre. It was right near Harbor High. We could see Harbor High from our Mm -hmm. house, uh, which is the high school I would later go to. Um, Right off a street called Dover, we could hear all the ambulances that would go um, by. Um, And when I was a little girl, these um, wild boys moved next door, the Madison boys, but they were Christians. And there was um, a woman, uh, Kay Madison, um, their mom, and she had six children, and she was always doing fun things with her children and always making spaghetti. And we could smell the spaghetti, and I'd be like, why can't we eat spaghetti? <laughs> and I would talk to the boys, and they'd be like, no, not spaghetti, because she tied chicken livers in it. And oh, okay. so they were like, no, it's chicken liver. And I'm thinking, spaghetti. So they um, were our neighbors. They were, they were great, but Kay Madison... Um, had been a teacher before she had gotten married to her husband. And she had this burden for the children in the neighborhood. So she started a good news club. And oh, I absolutely wonderful. adored the good news club. And yeah. it was taught by a lady named Mrs. Grimshaw. And Mrs. Grimshaw did flannel graph stories. And I just thought they were heavenly. And she would always come with an envelope with a question mark on it. And at the end of her story, she would pick a name of one of the kids that was there and you would um, answer the Bible question, you would win a bag of candy. And Mm. I wanted that bag of candy so bad. And one time she picked my name and she said, Cheryl, where was Jesus born? And I said, Nazareth. And only realized as I was saying Nazareth, it was Bethlehem. (laughs) It was my only chance at that bag of candy. And I got it wrong. And I'm like, no, no. (laughs) And you know, there was the other kid was like, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And I'm like, ah! But um, Mrs. Grimshaw was such an influence in Kay Madison. You know, beside uh, my Aunt Isi, I think that this program, Women Worth Knowing, is important to me because of the women that were so influential in my life as a young girl. Mm-hmm. You know, I had my sister who was um, just precious to me growing up, as well as my uh, mom. Um, I remember another lady named Dee Dee Fox who... I fell down one time and my mom didn't have time to nurse me. And my mom was a little upset with me because I was walking the dog with a rope. And I got a really bad rope burn from the mm. dog. And I remember Dee Dee just nursing my leg and praying over me the entire time. And I was so impressed with her kindness, her gentleness, and her approach uh, to me. It was it was just precious. So now you see I've got my Aunt Isi who was just, wonderful and she would pray and say holy 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 and you felt like the angels just uh just opened the gates of mm. heaven just right away for Isi's prayer Isi was about five feet tall um not even and just one of the most godly wonderful women she was also a pastor in arizona and she had a co-worker named mary jane may who was dynamic and forceful and these two women not only uh pastored churches together, but they also had a camp called Camp Friendly Acres. And my dad would say later of my Aunt Nisi that she was the godliest woman he ever met Mm -hmm. and the most kind, precious, precious and compassionate woman he ever knew. 
So my dad would be, he was more my spiritual leader growing up. My mom would do Saturday morning devotions if my dad couldn't. So every Saturday, we would have a Bible reading time, a short discussion. We would all get on our knees and pray. So this is what it's like to be Chuck Smith's daughter. <laughs> um, we would all be on our knees, and we would start with the youngest all the way to the eldest. And I remember sometimes they would be on their knees, and they would be praying in kind of like a weird language, each of them. And I said to my dad, you know, what's going on here? I'm five years old. And he said, well, we're praying in tongues. This is the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, I want this. So he laid hands on me and I received the baptismal Holy Spirit and spoke in tongues. So for those who don't believe in it, do what you want with that one. But that was my experience. And it- Tell us the, the you're five. Yeah. Then there's four of you. Uh-huh. And your sister's the oldest. Oldest, sister Janette. And then my brother Chuck, um, Jr., and then my brother Jeff, He went, his name was actually Jeffrey. Um, he only got Jeffrey when he was in trouble, though. And then I was Cheryl, the youngest. And how many years between? My sister is 11 years older than mm-hmm. I am. My brother Chuck is nine years older than I am. And my brother Jeff is seven years older than I am. So I once did one of those uh, tests, like... Uh, as the fourth child, and I didn't match that personality at all. And then I remember birth order book, and it said if there's more than five years between you and your closest sibling. You're like a brand new only child. You have to go to only child. And when I was looking at the only child, I'm like, oh, yeah, they nailed me. This is me. (laughs) This is totally me. But everything was already in motion with the other three. So Mm -hmm. then here you are as the youngest figuring out what and I do think where that, your place is. Um, my mom was young and my dad, and they were young in the pastorate when they had the other three. And my mom was a perfectionist by nature. And so trying to keep those three corralled, uh, they have told me many times, you had it so easy compared mm-hmm. to us. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that's true. You know, by the time I came, they were tired and they were totally relaxed. <laughs> so I got the best of both worlds. But by the time I was in, um, I was in kindergarten, my dad took over a church in Costa Mesa, and we moved back to the Newport house. We had bought it, and he bought it in 1963 when he was pastoring a four-square church in Costa Mesa. And then he had been transferred. Uh, they used to transfer my dad all over um, when he was with the four-square church because he was so good at healing churches. He just had this healing bomb. Now, he wanted mm. to just stay at one church, but they kept transferring him. So by the time I started kindergarten, I had lived in six different houses. Wow. And he had pastored uh, five different churches by the time I was in kindergarten. I was born in Huntington Beach. So he was pastoring the Foursquare Church of Huntington Beach. Then he had the Foursquare Church of Los Serranos. Then he had the Foursquare Church of uh, Chino. Then he had the Foursquare Church of Costa Mesa. And then he had the... um, he started Community Bible Church, I think it was called, in Corona, and then he had come out to take the call at Calvary Chapel. And I remember my kindergarten teacher said, you know, she's looking at my record, you've moved a lot. And I remember saying to her, she's kind of mean, uh, when I moved to Newport Beach, um, yeah, I think my dad's a little unstable because I had just been in so many different houses. I didn't know what to think. Yeah. And, you know, funny enough, I would remain in that house then for the next uh, seven years of my life in Newport Beach. And so during that time, as um, I'm going to uh, public school, Newport Heights, um, there were some really, really wild girls at my school. Uh, and the kids, uh, they had access to drugs. A lot of them had 
hippies for brothers and sisters. And they got into some really dangerous behavior. And I found mm-hmm. myself alone a lot at school. I would pray, just, Lord, give me one friend and I'll be fine. And so every year, God was faithful to just give me one friend that I would just hang around with and they would become my good friend. And I got really into sports because sports was a way of avoiding all the gossipy, girly stuff. So I joined up. And you belonged because you're part of a team. Right. I joined up for every team, baseball, uh, you know, volleyball, whatever I could do, uh, track. I just did the sports, tetherball. I even signed up for the Frisbee team. Just anything to just kind of, but you know, it's interesting because even during those years, God gave me so much favor. Even the bad girls loved me and they were so kind to me. And they'd say things like, we don't like any of these girls, but we like Cheryl. And I could see them be so mean. And they were always inviting me in. I even was in a Girl Scout troop with them. And I'd pay my dues, but never go to the meeting because I was scared of all of them. They were like, <laughs> they were mean girls. And yet God gave me favor. And I'll, I'll never forget, um, I was always teacher's pet. And by the time I got to um, sixth grade, I was hanging out by myself because the kids were into some really, really bad behavior. And I used to tell my mom everything. And my mom said the Lord told her not to react to it because I would stop talking if she reacted. But she said she would take all this in and she'd say, oh, Lord, please, please, please. But she was part of a prayer meeting every Thursday. And they would just, she would tell them everything that was going on at my school and they would begin to pray. And again, the prayer meeting was at Kay Madison's house who also had the Good News Club. And maybe in response to what I was going through, she felt the need Mm. to start the Good News Club. Mm Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's that's like my elementary. At the same time, um, hippies begin to get saved. You know, this is my impression. I just remembered that a lot of hippies were hanging out at our church and getting saved. And we'd moved from our little church on Church Street, which could hold about um, maybe 50 people max. And we knew we needed to build a church. So my dad bought an old uh, school that was Spanish style. It was so cute, and it was on the corner of Greenville and Fairview. But when he, but when he went to build and make it into a church, he found out it was condemned, and we had to tear it down. And he didn't have the money at that point to build anything. Uh, we were renting a Lutheran church in the afternoon, and it was funny enough. The pastor was uh, Pastor Blaine, and I was a classmate of his son Jeffrey Blaine, and. Dr. Blaine, as he was known also, he ended up succumbing to cancer and uh, dying um, during the time we were renting the building. Mm-hmm. He was building he was building his own church um, for the Lutheran Church over off of uh, Dover, which is still there. But this was a church on Cliff Drive. So during this time, here we're renting a church in the afternoon. No churches grow. Our church doubled in size, doubled. So by the time that we moved from that Lutheran church we were renting in the afternoon and we were finally able to build our church on Greenville and Sunflower, the church was packed out. It could seat 500 people and it was absolutely packed out with hippies. But then the parents of the hippies were coming. And I just remember just seas of people. And my dad had to go to two services and then he had to go to three services. And I remember... uh, and this is when I'm like 9, 10, 11. So when I'm 11, I'm at public school. I'm not hanging out with the kids. And this is part of the favor. 
this teacher, I still remember her name, Miss Bean. She asked me to come to her room. Well, I was scared of Miss Bean because she had been my math teacher when I was in fourth grade and she was strict. And boy, <laughs> did she run a strict classroom. And she had called me to her class. I had no idea what it was. And she said, I want you to know there are a lot of teachers that are watching you and we're so proud of you. And we know that Jesus is on your life and with you. And just know we're praying for you. Wow. That was it. Wow. That was the thing. And my sixth grade teacher, who was Miss Hannafin at the time, ended up getting saved. <laughs> so, I mean, God's favor was just like crazy. So my sixth grade year of school, we moved to Costa Mesa, California from Newport Beach. Uh, my dad found a house that he got for $40,000, which didn't have anything illegal. It was all totally no weird basements or anything. Right? Door. <laughs> right. And he sold the house in Newport Beach for um, 49000 So this was a real deal. He had money in his pocket. And the Those people who were bought the days, yes, my <laughs> The people who bought the house turned around and sold the house two months later in Newport for 55000 They didn't know the history. So, but even at this time, like we'd have gardeners and I remember we had this gardener named Link and I, you know, love to talk to Link and Link would, uh, he told me one time, this is my last time doing your yard. I'm like, why? Cause I really liked him. I'd follow him around and just, you know, talk to him the whole time. He said, oh, I have to go to prison. I'm like, why? And he said, well, because I robbed a couple of stores with a gun before I knew Jesus. He said, I wouldn't do it again, but I, I feel like the Lord's going to use me in prison. I'm like, Link, I'm going to miss you so much. Those were the type of people I was surrounded by all the time. Wow. But you got to remember my dad came out of the four square church and so did my mom. So the Foursquare Church was all about testimonies, all about people getting saved. Amy Simple McPherson would go to a bar and share the gospel. All these people would get saved, and she'd invite them to church. So my experience was like, yeah, this is this is par for the course. This is what happens. Jesus transforms lives. Mm. My dad growing up at the dinner table, his dad would go to the prison, and he would evangelize at the prison. they say, when you guys get out, you come to my house for a Sunday dinner by my wife. And so they would always have these characters at their dinner table and, you know, who had gotten saved through my grandpa and they had incredible testimonies and uh, they taught my dad how to pick locks, how to break into houses. Um, all the useful things uh, right, a budding these, pastor needs right, to know. All these crazy things. And my dad could pick a lock and break into a house. In fact, he taught me how to. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, one time my kids were looking at a house that they were renting and it was all locked up. And I said, I have I, a hidden skill I here, I think kids. I could get you in here, but yes. please don't tell anybody. And so I did. And my grandson was like, Grandma, you're wonderful. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Don't, don't, don't repeat anyone. this to anybody. <laughs> but my dad had taught me all these tricks. So I know how. I don't think I could with the locks that they have today, but for a long time I could. But that pattern there with the stories, so that the stories. your grandfather welcomed in those who had a salvation story they wanted to share. Oh. And so it was natural to your dad right. and wanting to see that transformation in right. those because he knew. right. And my dad the was the one who put me to bed every night, not my mom. Mm -hmm. It was my dad. And so we had this routine where he would tell me a Bible story and we would pray. And um, I wanted a prayer that was unique. So I didn't want, now I lay me down to sleep. I wanted a unique prayer that we would repeat. And I didn't want the Lord's Prayer for some reason. I was precocious. And so we wrote out a prayer together and my dad memorized that prayer. And he would, he would say it and I would repeat after him every single night. And... 
I remember being 50 years old and asking him, do you remember that prayer? And he did. And I didn't. Isn't that sad? To this day, I don't know. I know it started our father, but I can't remember what the rest Mm. of it went. But it was my own prayer that I had made up. And until I was um, 10 years old, he repeated that. When I was 11 years old, I remember going to church. um, By this time, we had three services and we're on Greenville and Sunflower. And there was a little girl holding my dad's hand. And I went up to her and I said, uh, you need to let go of his hand. That's my dad. And she just shook her head, no. And I said, no, no, I, I mean it. You need to let go of his hand. That's my daddy. You've got your own daddy. You you need to let go of my dad's hand. And she just shook her head. So for the rest of the week, I was known for having like a compulsive talking problem with my father. Um I just told him that that was not his girl. He shouldn't have been holding her hand. You know, what was he thinking? And he said, she just took my hand. I didn't know what to do. So I came up with a solution that I would go first service to church with him. And I would stay all three services and hold his hand between every single service. (laughs) I even got permission to be lit out of my classrooms early. And I would just make a beeline and hold his hand the entire time. And there she was. And I just smiled (laughs) at her and said, this is my daddy. And, you know, I was, I was holding his left hand, so he was free to shake the hands with his right hand. But I did that for probably oh, a good six months. Um, I was, I adored my father. Just always, always, always adored my father. I started, um, when we moved um, in junior high, I started just... Uh, the Lord gave me some Christian friends and I would take them to Calvary and it became this pattern in my life just to invite all my girlfriends mm. to go to church with me. And they would go to the junior high fellowship or they would go to the high school fellowship when I got to high school or to other uh, services. But the Lord gave me one special friend named Lisa Johnson and we became best friends. She got saved the summer between seventh and eighth grade. And the only year of Christian school for me was eighth grade besides going to uh, Westmont College for a year. And so she and I, um, at high school, we were like the evangelist and we pulled together all these, uh, girlfriends and we would sit on the front lawn instead of the quad quad was where the mean girls that I'd grown up with were. And they judge you for what you wore and yes. all that. I just didn't want anything to do with that. So we had our own like Christian group and we invited the disenfranchised into this group too. You didn't have to be a Christian. We had a couple people that weren't, we just we were a group that were going to love each other and just model Christ for these high school kids. And I had a couple of kids that got saved. That I still remember uh, their story and their testimony. Again, the stories of salvation. Yes, uh, wonderful. Again, these weren't rare because at church at night, my dad would have people get up and tell their testimonies. So during my high school years, I was at school. I was at church every night of the week. So Sunday night was through the Bible with my dad. Monday night was great glory. Tuesday night, they had like a um, a Bible college where you could take classes. Wednesday night was kind of like a, a family night in the surf fellowship that I would go to because mm-hmm. I pretended to surf. Thursday nights was my dad's um, in-depth Bible study. Mm-hmm. Friday night was Maranatha movies. And Saturday night was uh, Maranatha concerts. Yep. And so I was there and always inviting my friends to all the studies. And I was there many of those nights, too. And you and I are certain we were there the same time and maybe sat 
Right? Next to each other. Each other. Never, yeah. <laughs> I always smiled. <laughs> I was a big smiler, always. In fact, whenever I was nervous or didn't know where I was going, I just smiled. But it's such a wonderful thing when you think of so many stories of pastors' kids and, uh, first of all, moving that many times before you're even in kindergarten yes. or six years yes. old, that it, the favor of the Lord certainly was upon you. And again, God's faithfulness, so that by the time you're junior high and into high school, you want to be part of the fellowship and bringing friends and loved it. Such a yeah. rare and beautiful and wonderful thing that the the Lord, I think, really provided for you your own journey, your own path, as much of a bodyguard as you were for your dad. Yeah, but that it could happen within that bigger scope of what was mm-hmm. going on. I went to three different Sunday school classes too when I was like ten and eleven, and loved all three of them. I loved all the teachers. I would, on a Sunday morning at 10 and 11 years old, I would sit through three different Sunday school classes and love all three of them. I mean, who does that? And then we'd always go out uh, for um, Sunday afternoon meals. Um, That was the only time we went to a restaurant all during the whole week and found out later that it was in my dad's contract as the pastor when he signed up to be the pastor of Calvary Chapel. They couldn't pay him the um, salary that he needed. And so he put in his contract that they would pay for his family to eat out on Sundays because of preaching. Oh, and so it was too much for my mom to try to cook on a Sunday because yes. she was the pianist for the church uh, playing the hymns. And so those were um, just wonderful times. My church friends were my favorite friends. I had school friends, but my church friends were just the best. That's when I could be myself, not at school. At school, I was very quiet, very demure. Um, But at church, I was alive and felt free and that I could be myself. So, uh, again, the hippies are getting saved. I loved the testimonies of the hippies as Mm. a kid, just listening to them. I used to go to—my dad sometimes would teach the Monday night Bible studies, and he'd always have a testimony. And, you know, Love Song was my favorite band. In fact, I don't know secular bands to this day because Love Song was my— favorite and so so uh, yes and i have heard your mom had a little influence on how the bands started up at calvary um not so much the bands just that the hippies came it was my dad but the music wasn't there a story you told me about how your mom was saying yes let's let's change the music up or nope oh i don't i don't remember that story but my dad loved love song and when she heard him she concurred i know that i think though um i remember one time there was a contest between second chapter of acts and love song on kbrt which one was Mm -hmm. more popular and my mom was rooting for love song in uh second (laughs) chapter of acts one my mom was like oh no (laughs) so that might have been the story she um she loved the choruses though and so she was a pianist, and so she could play all the hymns, but she would memorize all the choruses because that's when choruses began to be sung. Right. Because up until that time, I had never sung a chorus um, at church, and even in Sunday school, we sang hymns. Yeah. So when these choruses uh, started coming, uh, choruses like um, love, 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 mm-hmm. Christians, this is your call, or we are one in the Spirit, we are one in the Lord, or, you know— other ones like that, and and then some that were like being written at the time, like "Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God," right. and all these songs that begin to circulate. Um, that's why my dad started Maranatha Music because the people said, "We want these songs. How do we get these songs?" And these kids had no money, so my dad uh, paid for them to go into a, a recording studio, 
record, not Love Song, because they had another contract that was still pending, but the other bands. And uh, that became the Maranatha music album. And it was really a worship album that people could get that, play it, and learn the songs. And we heard of a lot of um, home groups that across the country that would actually play the Maranatha album for their worship and then listen to one of my dad's tapes for their service. Oh, and they were actually the fellowships. early remote The early remote. No picture of him, but um, that's how they started. So, um, and there you are growing up in the middle of this, and it's it's your music too. You, yeah, I loved it. And this was part of all that. Normal to me. This is what life is about. And um, I grew up that any any situation, the first thing you did was pray, no matter what. You know, we Mm. always prayed for dinner. But like you hurt yourself. I remember going up to my dad at. Calvary one time and say, oh, my back hurts. And right away, he just put his hand on me and started to pray. That was just what we did. My mm-hmm. mom would just, sometimes you'd be talking to her and she, the situation might be bad. She'd start praying and you'd be like, oh, we're praying. You didn't realize because it was so natural just to go into prayer mm. that it was just how we functioned as a family. It was just prayer. I didn't realize we were Pentecostal or um, I, I knew I was different and my family was different. But I thought we were privileged and special. We were poor. You know, I didn't grow up with um, money. Um, I mean, (laughs) my dad was, um, he was penny pinching. We got all our peanut butter from my aunt's camp, the leftovers. We would have that peanut butter. And when he would make me, I'd get a half a sandwich for my lunch. And you couldn't even see the peanut butter or jam, but you knew it was there. (laughs) And, you know, half an apple. Spread thin. Right. And And those ice cream cones at Thrifty. Yes, those was were a big, big one. Yes, 10 cents. That's it. But if we had money, like my dad did a wedding or a funeral and we had money, we got to go to Baskin Robbins. That Ooh. was super exciting. I mean, we had a white dog and I love bubblegum ice cream and never finished my ice cream in time. By the time I got home and always had to give my dog my ice cream. Yeah, everyone else, because they were older, they finished their ice cream cones. I could never eat a whole one. And I'll never forget giving him bubblegum ice cream and him chewing away and having uh, <laughs> colored spots all over his fur, yeah. you know, pink and blue and yellow of all the bubblegum balls. Mm. So I think that's the end of part one. Uh, we're out of time. Yes, yes. Well, we will have to pick it up with part two. And I see that banner over your life of the faithfulness of God. Absolutely. And it's just so encouraging. Absolutely. Yeah. That and the the grace, the grace of God, yes. which is favor. And that's what I recognize. And again, the stories are so important because I grew up with the stories and that's transformation stories and the bigness of our God, I think, had an incredible influence on me. So Well in Grace, we will hear about that in the second oh boy, part will we? because Grace is really one of your words. It really is. We'll talk about that next. This is Robin Jones Gunn. Come back for part two with my co-host and special guest, Cheryl Broderson. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Robin on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at WWK at CCCM.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Robin Jones Gunn.